0: Hello, my name is Dorian, and this is episode number 11 of the Song of the Olive Press, a walk through the book of Philippians. The purpose of this podcast is to reach out and strengthen those followers of Christ who are going through an olive press. They feel as if they have been placed between two stones squeezing all the oil out of their lives. This podcast goes out with a hope and a prayer that God may turn our time in the olive press into a song. Thank you for coming back to my podcast and for joining me in a walk through this garden we call the Book of Philippians. I have been thinking about the wedding at Cana, John 2, 1 to 11, where Jesus turned the water into wine. It specifically says the servants knew where the wine came from, but the master of the feast tried to find a natural explanation for the wine. One could not blame him for that. The thought that somebody changed the water into wine was so far out of his understanding he would not even think in that way. Although Moses did change water into blood, still for him to draw that connection, this wine is so good, I wonder, if Messiah is in our midst and has changed water into wine, that's not going to happen. It is an interesting thought though Moses brought the law he was the law giver and Paul said the law brought condemnation we can find that in 2 Corinthians 3 7-9 and Romans four fifteen. and he, Moses, the law giver turns water into blood But Messiah, who brought grace and truth, turned water into wine. I know I'm off topic, but it is something for us to mull over during the week. Moses gave the law, and he changed water into blood. Grace and truth, salvation, came through Jesus Christ, and he changes water into wine. But going back to our scriptures, they very clearly make a point of telling us that the servants knew where the wine came from and only the servants knew. I mean the scriptures could have left that point out for us to figure that out on our own. But here the writer is very clear, the servants knew where the wine came from. And that gives us an interesting contrast between the two. Overall, this gives us a true picture of what always happens when God does something. The world, not knowing where it comes from, will try to find a natural explanation. Anything will do so long as they do not have to acknowledge God but the servants the servants they knew and this is the mark of a true servant they know the source so we could use this as a test to identify a true servant from a false servant a clear single-minded understanding of where the wine comes from. Here we can use wine as a metaphor for joy and peace, fellowship, love, and so, so much more. Now, being able to identify a true servant from a false servant is really important for us because Paul, John, Jude, and Peter warned us about false servants of God and told us to be on guard against them. So we need as many means possible to identify them. A true servant of God knows where the wine comes from. Therefore, would always be giving the glory to God. This would also affect how they treat the other servants. What I mean to say is this. If Jesus is the source, he can and he will use anyone that is grafted into him. Jealousy and envy would then be evidence that we have lost sight of where the wine comes from. Thus it is so important that you and I focus on the fact that we are branches grafted into the vine. Our being branches affects us in two ways. First, Jesus made this very clear. We are not the root. We are not the stem, but we are branches grafted into the stem. Therefore, the fruit in our lives, that is the life within us, touching others, is actually the life of the root. The life of the stem flowing into us and expressing itself through us. A branch that is not grafted into the vine has no source to draw from. This is the first effect. The second is being grafted into the vine, positions us for pruning. Just as Jesus said in John 15, 1-2, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. The only branches subjected to pruning are the branches grafted into the vine which are bearing fruit. What if, what if this is the olive press you and I are going through? that is, are being crushed by the two stones. Could this be our Heavenly Father pruning us, that we may bear more fruit? If this is true, then we should be thankful for our olive press, as hard as that might be. But what if I'm not there yet? What if I can't possibly give thanks for this olive press? Well, it is enough to have a hope that one day we will be thankful. One day we will see all things clearly. Then from our lips will burst forth the words, You, my Lord, have done all things well. Sometimes, hope is all we have, but that is all right, because hope has good neighbors on either side, faith and love. Although it can be because we're in a fog of pain and worry, we can't see hope's neighbors, but we know they are there. I am looking out my window and can see a plum tree in my neighbor's yard. It is just starting to come into leaf. In a few days it will be covered in flowers. And my eyes hunger for the color after so long a winter. But the fruit of this particular tree is like hard little stones. Sometimes a squirrel will chew on one or two. And sometimes a bird will peck at a few. But even for them, the fruit of that tree is useless. Most will fall on the ground and be a nuisance. The man who first planted the tree planted it for the fruit. He pruned it faithfully. But the subsequent owners have left it to grow wild no pruning no edible fruit our father in heaven will never leave us to such a fate we learn from the wedding at cana a true servant knows where the wine comes from directly after this story of jesus turning water into wine we have two examples of the holy spirit Revealing to the disciples where the wine is coming from. First, we have the narrative of Jesus cleansing the temple of the money changers. That's John 2, 13 to 16. And then we read in verse 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Why should they specifically remember that verse just then? Unless, of course, what Jesus said in John 16 and 13 was happening. Jesus said, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, directly after that, in John 2, is Jesus' foretelling of His resurrection from the dead. That's John 2, 18-22. But here we are told in verse 22, Therefore when He had risen from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this to them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So it was revealed to them, but not right away. The first case, right away. The Spirit revealed to them. In the second, however, it only was revealed after a series of events, or maybe better expressed with, at the fullness of time. Whether right away or later, Jesus always shows the servants where the wine comes from. Now, the first one, where the disciples were given light right away, is no problem for us. It is the second one we don't like. Because in between the prophecy and the Holy Spirit giving light on the prophecy was the cross. We feel that if the Spirit had forcefully brought to their remembrance the prophecy before the crucifixion, it would have made the whole ordeal easier to suffer. We think the same way about our olive press. We feel if we only knew why, right now, it would be easier for us to endure this valley. But for His own reasons, He keeps it from us until the right time. I hold very strongly to the position that this was an act of God. No human method or strategy would have changed a thing. They could have taken notes and read their notes every day. Nothing would be different. At the fullness of time, the Holy Spirit breathed life into the words of Christ, and they saw. But why would God do that? Let's hold on to that question as we begin to focus on Philippians 1 and verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. In Paul's words, we find something surprising. Remember, Paul was in prison, and had been for some time now. And what do we find? A sense of joy. Perhaps water having been turned into wine. Joy is a funny thing. The Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. But where does it come from? Does God hand it out? We ask God and He gives us joy. The scriptures say He does that with wisdom. But there seems to be a law governing joy. Let's look at a very well known verse in Psalms 30 and verse 5. The last half of the verse reads, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But joy comes in the morning. Think of that for a moment. What comes before the morning? The nighttime. Can you get to the morning without going through the night? No. Do we not get this sense from Philippians 1 and verse 12? But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. As Paul starts to see the fruit of his long night, He is now beginning to experience the morning. The sun is just beginning to rise. The night is the womb in which joy is conceived. If this is true, then the night is actually more important to us than the morning. For the disciples The crucifixion was a long, dark night. God could have eased that for them. God could have sent them angels, engulfed them in the warmth of His presence, reminded them of all the promises and prophecies about the resurrection. But if God had done that, if He had flooded their night with light, Would he have robbed them of some of the joy that comes in the morning? Isn't this a principle laid down even in Genesis 1, the first chapter of the Bible? It was evening and morning. Every time. The words, it is evening, then morning. First the evening, then the morning. Now, this continues throughout the Scriptures. In Leviticus 20 and verse 32, the Sabbath begins at sunset. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. For the vast majority of us, we think in terms of day then night. That is to go from the light to the dark. But for God's people, it is night, then day. Going from the dark into the light. This really changes very much how we view everything. Therefore, every night must have a morning that comes. That is our hope. We don't see the morning, but we know the morning will come. Is that not faith? Is God not trying to teach us here that we are to understand His promises, the sureness of every word He has spoken in the same way we are assured of the sun rising after this night. Even as we think of growing old, when we come to the point in our life when we realize that we have actually lived far more years than what we are going to live. Are we to look upon it as coming to an end? Or are we to look upon it as coming to a beginning? Are you going through a dark night in your life? If you are a child of God, then the morning is coming. Just wait for it. There was evening, and then there was morning. I want to go more into Psalm 30 and verse 5, but it will have to wait until next week's podcast. So until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. If you think of anyone who would be blessed by this podcast, please send it on with a prayer. God willing, I will post a new podcast this Wednesday. Thank you for joining me on this walk through the garden we call the Book of Philippians.